0: May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing unto you, O Lord. Amen. I invite you to be seated. Well, good morning. I'm Father Mike, a friend of Father Joe's, and it is a pleasure to be back with you once again. This has, over the last year when I've been able to come, uh, become quickly one of my very favorite places to visit. So, good morning. I understand from Father Joe that uh, he's taking some time in these weeks to uh, delve into Scripture in the book of Ecclesiastes and to take a deeper dive into some of the things that we can uh, receive from the Lord there. And this is a good thing because Ecclesiastes comes up periodically in the lectionary and it's read, uh, but you rarely hear sermons. On the book of Ecclesiastes. I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon from Ecclesiastes, and certainly not from this chapter that we're going to look at today, chapter 9. But again, it is a good thing, because what it causes us to do when we take a little bit deeper look into a smaller portion of Scripture, especially an unfamiliar one, is it causes us to consider and to even wrestle with the things that it says and the things that it doesn't say, uh, what it means. What it meant originally and what it means to us in our lives today. Because certainly the Lord speaks to us still by the Holy Spirit through the Word. So let's take a look and see what the Lord might have for us today. So we're, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Uh, it was read this morning. We'll be in verses 1 through 10. Now, one thing that's important to say as we take a look at this book of Ecclesiastes is the Bible is put together and there's many forms of literature if you will contained in the Bible. There's a lot of poetry. We see that all through the Psalms and even other places, uh the Song of Solomon, there's a lot of poetry. There's a lot of narrative. This happened and then this happened and then this happened. So we read through the Old Testament and the story of God's people. There is parable, Jesus spoke in parables and stories. Uh, and there's prophetic literature, as we see in the book of Revelation. So there's different genres. We understand that. Uh, stories are told and a message is conveyed in lots of different ways. I don't know if Ecclesiastes would be considered its own genre, but if we were trying to place it into what kind of communication this is, we could, as I read it, I think of it as like getting to peer into someone's journal, looking at uh, somebody's semi-private journal, their writings and their thoughts expressed to the Lord. As scholars have studied this book of Ecclesiastes, there's been different um, thoughts on that, but many, most scholars agree that this book was written by King Solomon, who was and is known as, uh, in his time, the wealthiest man on earth, being blessed by God in that way, and the wisest man on earth, having asked the Lord for that gift of wisdom. So take it as, as you will that we're taking a look into Solomon's, his journal, his thoughts, his conversation with God. The preceding chapter, uh, chapter 8, you see Solomon writing, And he's talking with God about one of the classic questions that most people think about or wrestle with at one point in their life or not. And he's talking to the Lord about why does it seem that bad things sometimes happen to good people and good things happen to bad people? He's saying, God, that doesn't make sense. And in fact, I don't really like that that's how it works. And then from that big topic... He goes into what we're looking at today, chapter 9. Another really big topic. The topic of life and death. (laughs) So we'll pick it up at chapter 9, verse 1. Solomon writes, This too I carefully explored. Even though the actions of the godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonially clean or unclean, religious or irreligious, good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated the same as people who don't. It seems tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. That's why people are not more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. There is hope only for the living. As they say, it's better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, is all long gone. They no longer play a part in anything here on earth. We'll pause there. So do you wonder why there's not that many sermons from Ecclesiastes 9? <laughs> what we're seeing here is as he's moving on from why do good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, he's taking up another question with the Lord. Solomon's writing, it's this great universal thing. We, we sometimes say you can't escape death and taxes, you can technically escape taxes for a little while if you want to live in a different, more confined place uh, for your latter years. But there is no escaping the ultimate end, our physical death. And Solomon saying here, it just he it literally says it doesn't seem right. Why is it that people that live a good life and do good things, they come to the same end as somebody who doesn't care and does whatever they want to do? Go off on, as he says, they're mad plans. It's a good question. One thing worth pointing out here is that, isn't it interesting to see, like a journal, like we're seeing someone's intimate thoughts and their intimate conversation with God. It encourages me to see this in the scriptures that, let me say it this way, it's okay to talk to God about things that are difficult. About things that we struggle with. I know for myself, sometimes I'll be talking to God and I'll try to talk myself into the answer before I even express all the feelings. Something will be bothering me and I'll be praying and then I'll cut myself short and say, But Lord, I know that you love me, I know that you're good to me, I know that my eternity is secure with you, so I probably shouldn't be complaining about these things. Well, it's not so much complaining. But here we see just a full bearing his heart conversation with the Lord. We're saying, I don't understand these things. Why does it have to be this way? Why does life work this this way? And there are answers and there is mystery because it isn't all fully explained. But what we're seeing is that it's okay, even good, to lay our hearts out before the Lord, whether it's in a journal whether it's in our prayers, whether it's in our verbal conversation with the Lord, however we express ourselves, he already knows what we're thinking. He already knows our hearts. We can share our hearts with Him. He might not always answer in the way that we think, but he hears us and would much more want to engage with us on these things rather than have us just ignore him or try to give ourselves the right Sunday school answer without really having a heart-to-heart with the Lord. So that's what we're seeing here. This is this message, it's, it's nothing that surprises us. Death comes to all. Whether you live a good life or whether you live a bad life, we all have an ending date physically on this earth. There's a couple different ways to respond to this, to that fact. It, just as a sidebar, sometimes I... I wonder and I look forward to so much what it will be like in heaven when there's no more death, no more sickness, no more tears, no more pain. I can imagine sort of being in heaven and thinking back on our time here on earth and thinking, wasn't that ridiculous? (laughs) I mean, you go through and there was all these struggles and everyone comes to die at some and You don't know when that's going to be that. That was ridiculous (laughs) and just such a short part of eternity, but yet an important part of eternity, and the one that we are all in right now in this moment. So there's a couple different ways to respond and react to, to this truth. One is to deny it, to avoid it. This is what generally our culture does. Generally in our culture, we are very, very uncomfortable with the idea of death. If, if you don't believe that, think about the last time you spoke with your insurance person and they were looking at life insurance policies and they said to you, now let's take a look at this policy just in case anything should ever happen. There's a pretty good chance that something's going to happen at some point. But that illustrates the discomfort that we have with it. And so we try to just pretend that it doesn't exist and deal with it later. It's understandable because it can be overwhelming, can even be frightening. But there's an avoidance that's there. Another way to approach the fact as we're looking at in Scripture that everyone comes to a physical death is to kind of adopt a a trudging through mentality, a fatalism. uh, Like pushing God to the side of it and saying, well, whatever, just live out our days, do whatever, and then it comes to an end, meaningless, meaningless, like some of what Solomon's wrestling with here. There can even be kind of a Christian version of this trudging through and plowing through, too. I've heard folks say, like, well, I know I'm okay with the Lord. I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm going to heaven. So the rest of this life, it's just, let's just get it over with. Let's just get through it and get to the good stuff. Let's get through the broccoli and just get to dessert. That is another way to approach this, to approach the reality we live in. But in doing this, we miss so much. Because built into that fatalistic or just plow through approach is the belief that this all doesn't really matter. It's just something to do pre-eternity. Well, the scriptures don't teach us that at all. The scriptures show us that everything that we do and say and engage in, our process of growing as a disciple of Jesus on this side of heaven matters tremendously. Yes, things of this world will pass away and things eternal will come, but it doesn't mean that all of this is worth nothing. That's not true at all. I think of it this way, my father-in-law passed away this past fall after a long muscle disease similar to ALS. And he suffered with that for a long, long time. And one of the things he said more than once, as he reflected on eternity, and as he reflected on what it might be like when he joins the Lord in heaven where he is now, as he said, you know, in the entire span of all of eternity, Only right now is the only chance that we get to worship God in a state when we don't feel good or when we have doubts and we're not sure or when we have fears. All the things we wrestle with in this life. Only this little tiny part of all of eternity eternity, do we get to come to God with such faith that we come and gather in the face of all the things that life throws at us. I always found that so inspiring because we'll worship before the throne of God in eternity, but it'll be in the absence of all of these things. Who we become, what we do, what we invest in, what we make of this experience, this side of heaven, does matter to God. St. Francis de Sales was quoted saying, Let us be what we are, And be that well, in order to bring honor to the master craftsman whose handiwork we are. Let us be what God wants us to be, provided we are his. Let us not be what we would, contrary to his intention. In other words, if we're trying to think of what matters in this world, we are made in God's image we carry his likeness we the life within us is god's life and by being all that he's called us to be and by surrendering our will and walking in god's way and not wandering off in our own we bring glory to god in this life and in the next it does matter to god so avoiding it is avoiding the end of life or thoughts of it is one approach lacking in many ways, trudging through and just trying to get through and get it over with is another approach lacking in all sorts of ways. But there is another approach and it's the approach I think that Scripture is pointing us to here. And that approach is in the face of the reality that we'll all come to meet our physical death, in the meantime, live. Live. Receive this gift that the Lord has given us. Let's take a look at... We'll pick back up in Ecclesiastes 9, verse 7. Just these few quick verses now list off some things about living. He writes, So go ahead, in light of what we're talking about, the end of life. Eat your food with joy. Drink your wine with a happy heart, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do it well. For when you go to the grave, there'll be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. Four things of the essence of life he lists off right here. So in the meantime, live. Live. Enjoy food. Enjoy occasions and celebrations. It speaks of getting dressed up, putting some cologne on, go out. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy the fruits and the benefits, the intimacy of marriage. Or for those that aren't married, life-giving relationships. God surrounds us with many relationships that give us life, that give us encouragement. And in our work, he says, whatever you do, do it well. Do your work. It matters. There's dignity in that. Now, at first glance, we might think, now, come on, is this, is this the old Roman, ancient Roman thing? Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die. On the surface, it sounds like it could be the same, but it's exactly the opposite. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you shall die is th- that phrase came out of hedonism. That, that came out of the trudge through way. That came out of the n- nothing matters anyway, so just fill yourself, indulge yourself at the expense of anybody and everybody, and then when you're done, you're done. That's not at all what Solomon's talking about here. Not at all. He's saying God's given us good gifts. Food, work, celebrations, relationships, things that are life-giving. He's saying we don't want to be, imagine the little child on Christmas morning receiving a gift, a gift that he or she loves and is super excited about. And then after a moment of being excited and being joyful, imagine if the child were to collect themselves and then look at their parent and say, sorry about that, thank you for the gift, I'll put it to the side and I'll try my very best to never enjoy it, never think about it. As a parent, you'd, your heart would be crushed. because so you give this, this gift, you give these gifts out of love and to see the joy in the child. So our Father gives us good gifts and lights in all kinds of packages. And yes, we'll meet a physical death at some point. But in the meantime, He wants us to grow in Him, to love Him, to enjoy the gifts He's given us. Not selfishly, but in relationship with Him and with each other. Remember, Jesus said, I have come that they may have life. He says, the enemy came to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that they have life and have it abundantly. And he was speaking about life here and now and life in eternity. Well, this passage from Ecclesiastes, it makes it clear what we already know. What we sometimes don't like to think about, that everyone under the sun someday has their end, their last day. But there are, as this is a part of scripture and as scripture unfolds to the fullest and culminates in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, there are other alls in scripture as well. Yes, all will die. But fortunately, blessedly, there's other alls. In the New Testament book of Romans, Paul writes, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. We've all broken God's law, broken God's heart. We've all wandered away. And the wages of of those sin those sins that sin is death if that was the end of the story what a sad and tragic story that would be all have sinned the wages of sin is death that means all will die period except that our loving God our father in heaven would not leave it that way would not have that be the end of the story. And in fact, would go to any length whatsoever for that not to be the end. Even so much as to send His Son, Jesus, to come and enter into this time and space, a little part of eternity, the one with the sin and the sickness and the death, with the pain, with the doubts, with the fears, that one, that Jesus would enter into this with us. And even though He didn't sin, even though He earned no wages of death, that He, being sinless and perfect, would take upon Himself the sum total of all of our sin, sickness, pain, doubt, fear, death. Take it to the cross. Truly and literally die, but have that not be the end of the story. Truly, literally, rise from the dead. Think about it. I don't like to think about my last day, whenever that may be. I don't like to think about the sad feelings that I feel for those that I've lost. But what hope and what strength and what encouragement I get from knowing that we have a Savior that robs the grave. We have a Savior that says, death is not the end of the story. It could have been, but it isn't. Because in Jesus, our death is a pause and a transition to a new life, an eternal life, free of sin, sickness, and death, in perfect, unhindered relationship with God and with others in whatever way that looks like. Looking back at this experience, not that it doesn't matter because it does matter, but looking back at it is just a blink, just a little part an important part for sure because it's the part that we choose Jesus when we have the ability to choose to not choose him but then to have eternity with him death is not more powerful than god jesus has overcome death and opened the door wide to us for all who would receive it like a little child on christmas morning who all who would open up that gift and receive it and in receiving that It's new life now. It's life of the enjoyment of God's blessings. It's life of God's strength and peace and power in the hardest times that we're not in it all by ourselves and all alone trying to figure it out. And then ultimately, life upon life in the presence of the Lord. Our God has conquered death. And so let us live. Let us pray together. God, as we're gathered here this morning in your house, we come with grateful hearts. We come with our praise. We come with hope looking to you. Thank you, God, that you are the God of life. Thank you, Jesus, that you have come to bring us abundant life here and now and forever with you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. From sin and sickness and death, for making a way where there was no way, and for calling us to yourselves, to yourself. We love you, Lord. Draw us close and give us your peace. Jesus, in your good and mighty name we pray. Amen.